Hello, and welcome to Awe and Wonder AAC podcast. I'm Brenda Del Monte. I'm Sarah Kinsella. And today we have a special guest, um, Jessica Montoya. And um, we have been friends for a long time. She is a mother of a child with a disability. And we are here to talk about her story, hear her insights, and um, learn from her experience. So hello, Jessica. Thanks for coming. Hi, thanks for the invitation. So first of all, um, I know your story. And so um, most of our listeners don't. So um, what I want you to do is just tell us a little, tell us your child's disability story. So we get a visual of how everything went down in the beginning. Okay. So my daughter's name is, is, is Stephanie. Um, when she was about seven months old, she had a traumatic brain injury, um, which led her to be in the hospital for about a year and a half. Um, and once we were released from the hospital, we had to learn how to use, um, a bunch of oxygen equipment, um, wheelchair training, a bunch of um, like G-tube, everything to pretty much maintain her alive. Right. So I know this is super personal, but let's go, let's go back to the day of the injury and tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about how you learned your daughter was hurt, how your work handled that. Um, Tell us a little bit about um, how you learned about her traumatic brain injury. Okay, so like I said, she was seven mo- seven months old when it occurred. Um, I, to keep in perspective, I was only 16 at the time, so I was so young. And I had, they were twins, so I had twin girls. Um, and at the time I was working. So when the incident occurred, her biological father was actually there with them. And I pretty much heard the story from his side. Um, and when it had happened, I was at work. So my mom actually came in crying. So Mm -hmm. I kind of figured something was happening, but I didn't expect it to be that my daughter was in the hospital with like a life and death situation, pretty much. Right. Um, so I actually try to leave work, but work (gasps) said, if you leave, you pretty much get fired. So I said, I'm just, I'm just going to leave. I'm not going to fight between a job or my daughter's life. Like who Mm -hmm. would do that? You know? Um, So then at that time I left and she was at uh, Cardin Children's. So her history, uh, like pretty much her whole life story is at Cardin's, all the surgeries, the initial surgeries, everything is at Cardin's. Um, While they were, there was a point. Um, I want to say maybe like three to four days after it occurred, um, the doctors came in at about midnight one day and said that we are going to have to pull the plug pretty much because she was on life support at that time. Um, And we pretty much said, no, my parents were like, no, we're not going to do it because I didn't really understand much at that time because of my age 
Mm-hmm. And um, they're like, no, we're gonna hold on to it. We, because we're we're also Catholic, so we did like the emergency baptism, and we were praying for her all night and everything. And so the next morning, she ended up waking up, so she had a reaction. Mm. Wow! Wow! Yeah, the and then, the morning um, after they wanted to pull the plug was when she woke up. Yes, um, they wanted to pull the plug. It was. I remember it precisely. It was February 18th that they wanted to pull it. And we said, no, they're not going to do it. Um, at about, I want to say it was between 8.30 to 9 a.m. Where she ended up waking up. She just randomly, woke, she opened her eyes. Mm. Oh, my goodness. So we, we literally just ran to her and we all just started crying. And we had a priest mm. with us at the time. so And he, he, he even started crying. Mm-hmm. I bet. I bet. So and your parents that's, were there? Yes. Um, yeah. They would stay with me. Um, if it was not both of them, it would be either one or the other um, because I did have my other daughter with us. So they mm-hmm. were kind of my babysitters while they were trying to take care of us at the hospital too. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that gives me chills. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's back up. You go to the hospital and... Mm-hmm. Um, Stephanie's um, nickname is Nani. So I know I'm going to call her Nani half the day. So we might as well just mm-hmm. establish that Nani and a Stephanie are the same person. Um, Everybody and, only knows her by Nani. Right, right. <laughs> so um, so um, you arrive at the hospital and um, Nani's biological father doesn't speak English, correct? Correct. Okay. Remind me, were you born here or in Mexico? I was actually born in Mexico, um, and I ended up becoming a naturalized citizen. Okay. So your mom speaks English, but your dad doesn't speak English. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, So you get there, and you're offered an interpreter, yes? Yes. And you refuse because why? Uh, I mainly refused because I actually know English and then my mom was there as well too. So, and because she's a CNA, she kind of knows like the medical terminology of it. Um, and even though they, they kind of were forcing an interpreter on me, but my mom kept insisting no, even after I said no. So once my mom actually said no, that's kind of where they backed up, backed off a bit. And is that also because you just didn't want, you didn't want another person? I mean, you already had these other doctors. You just didn't want one more person in the room? No. um, To me, it just kind of seemed like it was too many people trying to get involved. Mm -hmm. And then with me being 16 at the time, I really wasn't an open book to anyone. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'd rather keep it like within my family or like within the people that I know or actually trust. Right, right. So Jessica, part of our, well, our, our title today for our podcast talking to you is um, a parent perspective, toxic assumptions. So it sounds like an assumption someone made is that you need an interpreter and not only that you needed it was, was that you didn't know if you needed it because they kept telling you, you did, right. That you were too young to kind of make decisions. Is that correct to say? Yes. Um, and that kind of goes out throughout like the whole 
year, almost two years that we kind of had to figure everything out with her disability. Mm. One, because of my age. So they pretty much assumed that I didn't know anything mm-hmm. because I was 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, really, you're going through this for the first time like anyone else would be, right? Yes. You you don't know what to expect, just as anyone else would in, in the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Even if you're 26, you you've ne- you don't know what you don't know what the doctors are saying. You don't know what's going on. You still have other children, right? It, like in some ways, uh, all of the trauma would be equal would be significant no matter how old you are right yeah I'm sure it was harder at 16 but it didn't make it just because you're 16 doesn't mean that just because of your age doesn't mean that um you um didn't have the ability to make decisions I find that was really unfortunate I think so they start talking and you are doing interpreting right so you are learning about your daughter and then turning and telling um her father in and your dad in English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was that like for you to learn about it and, and have to play that role? Um, at first when I was, I remember when I was translating it, I was just kind of translating it. But then once my dad kind of started like asking questions about it or kind of like, um, me trying to explain more into detail what it was, that's when I started kind of getting the bigger picture and kind of understanding what in reality they were trying to say. Mm -hmm. I know that you said that um, obviously you're interpreting, so they know you speak English, but they're kind of talking around you and then they're dumbing it down when they talk directly to you. Talk about, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. um, When I remember like specific times where they would come in and they would try to talk about like her condition and like the prognosis for her and all that medical talk what they call it um every time they try to tell me something they would always like dumb it down use simple uh, like simple words basic words um almost kind of made it seem like just because I was 16 didn't I wasn't gonna like understand anything even though they didn't know me whatsoever Mm-hmm. Or even like my parents, because just be it was mostly based because of my age, mm-hmm. right? How much of um being Hispanic and not not everyone speaking English, do you think played a role in the dumbing it down part? I would say about maybe like eighty percent of that, really? mm-hmm. just because I think in. Like when obviously like when you because, you know, my dad and when you look at my dad, he looks like he's like very Mexican. Mm -hmm. But I know like throughout his life, if you talk to him in English, he somewhat understands you. Mm -hmm. He just can't speak it back. Mm -hmm. So and I know when I was doing a lot of the translating, um, he would understand way better. And he, I remember he would always say, well, don't, don't let them talk to you. Like you're a kid, you're already old enough and Nani's making you grow up. Mm-hmm. So don't let them talk to you. Don't let them do whatever they're going to do because mm-hmm. it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So I kept getting like backup, I guess you could say from my parents as well. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like my, like my lawyers at almost, <laughs> 
Yeah, they were looking out for you for sure. Yes. One example of that was using the terminology around being a noodle. Talk to me about that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that one because um, they said if she was going to survive, that she was going to be in, they first said vegetative state. Um, so and my mom, they kind of heard my mom like explaining it a little bit to me. And they're like, well, it's pretty much going to be a noodle. Just soft, not really sturdy and just laying there. That's what the so doctor that's, told, told your mom? That's that's what the doctor told me. And then the nurse kind of reiterated around that as well, too. Mm. So that was like their magic word was saying that she was going to be a noodle. Right. What was your reaction to that? I'm like, why would you call someone a noodle? Like, I didn't understand why they would use that. Why can't mm -hmm. they just use like their regular language as if they were talking to somebody like older? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah, they weren't talking to you about the kind of cerebral palsy she was going to likely have and what that would look like in her body and what we don't what we do and don't know about her brain. They just reduced it all down to a noodle. Yeah, they never went into specific details like that until yeah. further down the road, almost a year after. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so um, also around this time, because there was an injury in the home. um. CPS got involved. Yes. Um, CPS got involved as soon as we hit the hospital. Mm -hmm. okay. And how much do you think because that was related to your age, your ethnicity, or do you think it was just because the injury was in the home? Um, with that, I would say about 80% based on age and like 20% based on ethnicity. You think so? I think so because um there was one point like when they first got involved, um they were they were talking to me just like how the doctors were, making mm -hmm. doing their simple words, um pretty much dumbing everything down, um, and then as soon as they would tell me one thing, they would say two like two other different statements, and then they would come back to that original statement, kind of like repeating themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know um. A little bit after that, I had to get like a psychological evaluation mm -hmm. because they wanted to make sure that I was not crazy or um, what they said was that because of my age, they wanted to make sure that I understood everything correctly. Mm. So when I when I did do that evaluation... I pretty much told the psychologist why I was there, why they sent me, what happened, the pretty much the whole life story. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the session, she's like, okay, well, why are you here? Mm -hmm. I responded with, I don't know. I'm hoping you would tell me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we just, we just ended it like that. And I never went back. She's like, I don't know. Your head is on good. We're, we're good to go. Wow. I said, okay. So <laughs> that is so much to go through. That's what I'm thinking yeah. too. So your so your child's on life support. You're trying to get get your other daughter um, in your custody, and they're questioning your sanity. Yeah, <laughs> all because I was 16 at the time. I don't even know who passes the sanity test in those circumstances. <laughs> well, apparently I did. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Good on you. <laughs> I don't know that I do. 
right? <laughs> anybody. And I don't care about age in that sense. Right. But right. I, I do know that I do know that there are rules around um, injuries in the home with a child. And, and there, there are some automatic pieces around child protective services around that. But um, mm-hmm. I don't think that a um, psychological profile, um, like what you had to go through is, is standard procedure. Do you? Do you know if that's true or do you think that is that why you're saying it's mostly age because that that particular piece of this was not common? I think it was mostly age because they did they did state that they typically don't do those. Mm. Um, but because of my age and because we were so young, that's kind of why they want to what they said, get it out of the way. Mm. Just real quick. So that's kind of why I lean. Yeah, that's why I lean over to it was age based at yeah. that time. Yeah. Right. So you passed the test, your daughter's with you, meaning um Nani's twin is back in your custody. Um after we did the evaluation and everything, um they actually like because they had deemed my mom's home dangerous until they could figure out like what had happened to her originally. Mm. Um, we had actually signed custody over to one of my mom's cousins that we never spoke to in years. Mm. And she actually was able to do that favor for us. Mm. Um, and because she signed over, I was still able to be with like around the kids and stuff. I just had to have like supervision mm-hmm. just until I was mm. cleared. Wow. Um, so our, or my mom's aunt actually let me stay in one of her bedrooms in her home mm-hmm. with my kids. So that way I would still be taking care of my kids. I would just pretty much like be watched. Right. Yeah. So there's a couple things there. One, um, you weren't even at the house during, during the, when she fell. So interesting no, I wasn't. you were being questioned when you weren't even there. Yes. Okay. Mm. And then the other thing is, is something about Hispanic culture is your cousin who doesn't even know you is like, absolutely. I'll sign those papers and you can yeah. stay with me. <laughs> and she I love that about your no whole family. Yeah. Your whole family has got everybody's back all the time, even if you don't know each other for five years or whatever. Yeah. And what my mom said specifically when it happened, she's like, yeah. I'm sorry, I have to ask you for this favor, but would you be willing to do it? She's like, well, why are you even asking? Just let me know where I need a sign. She, what she said was family is family, whether you talk to them or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you probably, I mean, it's probably reciprocated, right? Your family would do the same. Mm-hmm. Oh, no yeah. question about it. Yeah. yeah. Especially Jessica's the family interpreter. Um, <laughs> and I'll, actually she's the neighborhood's interpreter <laughs> yes and par- partially, partially lawyer too now because apparently I help neighbors like fill out papers that are in English and all that kind of stuff too so. oh yeah for <laughs> so gold yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah do you do you mind doing that Jessica do you like to do it or um sometimes I do and sometimes I don't because then I, I certain things get a little too personal mm, yeah um but it's like I tell my mom if they ever need help I can't say no yeah literally can't <laughs> yeah Brendan knows that too I apparently know is not in my vocabulary 
It's like sometimes um, you, if someone needs you to interpret for something pretty serious, then you're privy to a lot of private information. And that's where you're like, oh, I, I hate that for you that you have to tell me this stuff, right? Yeah. I'd be like, I'm yeah. sorry. I know your personal stuff, but yeah. I'll gladly do it. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the part that's, that's just, that's a little hard. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you, um, at this point, how... So you go home and you get a nurse. Tell us about that. It was not a fun experience. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, we went home. Um, We were, I think, like two days after that, we ended up getting a nurse. um, Because when she did come home, she came home with an oxygen tank. Um, She came home with a trach, a G-tube, AFO, splints, the whole nine yards pretty much. Yeah. Um, there was certain ways that we were able to like move her, certain ways we needed to adjust her. Um, and just like her overall care, we pretty much required like an extra set of hands mm-hmm. and also mm-hmm. scaled hands as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where we um ended up getting a nurse. Um, and at first for the first couple of months it was okay. Until they started getting a little too comfortable, it got to a point where they were, like, asking me if I could, like, either leave the room or leave the house. But I am like, okay, so where am I supposed to go if this is, like, the only place, like, where I live? Like, why would I leave? And then with a complete stranger in the house, too, and then my daughter and, like, everything she has gone through. Yeah. Um, well, it made me feel super uncomfortable. What did you do? Um, so I ended up talking to my mom about it. Um, and she's like, well, just give him a couple more days and see how it goes. And it just started getting more like, well, are you guys able to leave? You guys can go do kind of like, they were pretty much trying to get me to like, go do things while they were there. Cause they just wanted like that privacy. And I just didn't feel comfortable until I got to the point where I called the agency. And I'm like, I don't want them anymore. If they're going to be asking me to, like, leave my own home mm-hmm. and with my child, who's, like, medically fragile at that point, I was like, I don't want them. I don't want new people. Um, And then to be having to keep, like, rotating people around and getting used to new people. Right. I'm like, no. So we ended up just pretty much terminating those services. And doing it. You, you did everything then. Yes. You I, I figured... Because of the way that they were treating us, to me, it, it was just easier to just do it all on my own and figure it out versus somebody pretty much like haggling me every time. Do you think that part of that was them trying to help you get time to yourself or did it just feel really just strange? It was. Uh, to me being like it being a whole new thing um, mm-hmm. and then with people coming in the home because we would never really have anybody over other than just like family. Right. Um, it was completely weird to us. It yeah. was super strange. Yeah. Um, as much as we tried to adjust with it, like we, we really couldn't until mm-hmm. they got to that point where people would say that they like started pushing our buttons pretty much. Right. We were just like, no, we're not going to. It was it seemed more like a struggle than actually it being helpful right 
Right. But I do. I do think you make a good point, Sari. I think you're saying like, was there an assumption that you needed that that Jessica needed a break from her daughter and or mm-hmm. needed time away, mm-hmm. and that that might be an assumption that was made, and what it came across as as, mm-hmm. no, I don't need time away from my kid, and I'm mm-hmm. certainly not leaving them with you, you know. Mm-hmm. Because I don't actually know you. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, so I mean, you trusted them medically to, you know, care for your daughter, but that's, that's not, that's not, um, those aren't just because you trust someone medically doesn't mean you're going to leave them in your home with people, right? You, you're, you have your core people mm-hmm. that you, you let in your home period. And, and she wasn't one of them, you know? So at this point, um, how are we feeling about white ladies? <laughs> I know this because um, this is leading up to when I met you, so I have to ask. Um, nervous. Yeah, just just because it's people, new people in general. I'm before like when you first met me, I was not an open book. Yeah, I always kept to myself, super yeah. quiet. If I don't have to deal with you, I'm not going to deal with you type of person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, you got a communication device evaluation. I wasn't part of that. Talk about what you saw during that evaluation, what you what you thought about getting AAC for your daughter. Um, when they first, um, when I first learned about it, I was a little like, how would I say it? like a little thrown off guard because I didn't know what it was to begin with, Mm -hmm. given that we were learning about a whole lot of different things Mm -hmm. super quickly at a young age. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, it was frightening at first because I had to learn about something completely different. Mm -hmm. Never heard about it in my life. Um, And once we did like the eval and they sort of like, started teaching me like how to use it and stuff it I kind of felt comfortable with it so that's kind of where you chose to do the evaluation at the clinic because you were like um they I remember the team offered should we do it in your home or in the clinic and you said Mm -hmm. definitely I said in the in the clinic yes (laughs) I didn't want anybody coming to the house Uh, they kind of traumatized me from that whole nursing ordeal yeah yeah no more people Right. Like that, that is your place. That is. Yes. And, so, <laughs> and they trialed eye gaze devices. Yes. Yes. And, and how, how old did you was feel she when you saw that? Go, so and how, how old was she at this point? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't even remember. I think two or three. Uh, Probably okay. three. I think she might have been like three. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And what was that like? Yeah. Trying eye gaze. Um, at first, I thought it was weird. Because it, the way like it would track your eyes and stuff, I thought that was just like weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fact that it kept watching you <laughs> because it had to follow your eyes, it, I don't, I, it just kind of creeped me out at first. <laughs> Until like they started telling me about it, kind of describing it, how, like the functions of it and everything. That's kind of when it's like, oh, okay, well maybe this might end up working out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So then you get the device and I get assigned to your training. This is how I met you. And I call you and I say, Mm -hmm. yeah, you know, we do it in the home. I have to set it up. And 
you didn't tell me not to come to your house. Did was I just too pushy or what? <laughs> I didn't give you another option. Uh, kind of both, I guess. <laughs> um, it's just when um, I re I kind of remember that a little bit too. Um, just your voice kind of was calming a bit because you didn't seem like you were pushy either. Mm. Um, and then uh, after I think after we were making the appointment and stuff, we kind of started talking a little bit about Annie. Mm -hmm. So that kind of just made me like ease into you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like she's, so you, she wasn't, she didn't seem like she was too aggressive Mm. compared to like other people that I've met. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Or too much like on her agenda. Right. She's actually wants to know about your daughter and, and have a conversation maybe. Yeah, and then she did seem, and well, not she did seem, but she was friendly at the time, and she still is. <laughs> <laughs> so what I didn't, so I came, and we set mm-hmm. up some stuff, and um, at that time she had a Toby Dynavox with eye gaze, and um, the the setup was kind of extensive. I mean, I was there for like I don't know an hour and a half or something. Mm-hmm. And then I later found out when I, that when I left, your mom called you. Yeah. (laughs) What'd she say? She did call me and she, like, every time somebody shows up, why was that white person here? Yeah. That's Um, literally what she said. I'm like, well, (laughs) she was doing, I pretty much explained why she was, why she was at the house. Yes. Um, and that's when she kind of started questioning me about the device as well, too, that what yeah. it was for. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was kind of like weirded out, too, because I had told her that it like tracks the eyes and stuff as well. Um, so she's like, well, how does it do that? Mm-hmm. And that's like after we got more into it, I kind of whatever I started learning, I would show my mom, too. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of both intrigued. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did Did you guys try it? we did we were actually messing with it (laughs) we were kind of just tracking our own eyes pretty much yeah yeah so what was effective in the training um in getting going on it what what um what was helpful um as far as getting started with eye gaze with with nani like what did i tell you to do that was helpful what what did i tell you to not do that was also helpful what 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 did what was helpful in getting going um was that is that like in regards to like the device itself or and in just using it with her yeah um I think what was helpful was like the training it was very thorough um even though it was extensive it was to me it seemed like it was simple and easy enough to do on my own Mm -hmm. um and I know as well when you had left um you had also mentioned that if I had like questions regarding the device if I didn't know, like, even just how to turn it on, mm-hmm. um, I remember you telling me to just either call you or text mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. because that's what you were there for was to pretty much help us through the process. Mm-hmm. So I think just having that or having you like as a backup person or like in case of emergency style mm-hmm. um, is what kind of gave us the confidence for that. Mm-hmm. 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 Jessica, I have to ask, is it, um, you know, 
Brenda will say, text me if this, you know, a lot of people, it's like you have to call or email or we'll set up a Zoom. Is it easier because of the texting sometimes? Do you, do you do that? Or? It is. It is because half of the time I wouldn't like to be like on the phone. Yeah. Um, and I know just texting would be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you got the device. Um, I think I encourage you to just play with her. She picks a toy and then you play. She picks a food and you try it. She was trying some food by mouth at the time. So um, basically building the device into some daily routines. And she was pretty young. And then she went to preschool. So talk to me about what assumptions do you think were made about Nani when um, and her disability related to how smart she was when she entered school? Uh, well, at first they thought, um, they made it seem like she didn't, uh, like, how would I say it? Like she didn't have a brain almost. Mm-hmm. Um, they would make it seem as if you would talk to her and like, she was like in a vegetative state almost. Um, like because te- you're talking about the teachers or the kids. Yeah. Like the, like the teachers in general, um, mm-hmm. because, um, even even not just the teachers alone, like everybody that would see her just because they would either see that she's in a like a wheelchair or like a stroller, like how we used to carry her. Mm-hmm. Um, they would pretty much just be like, oh, well, she can't do anything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just because of the way that she looked. But the thing is, is what they what the, what the listeners don't know is how much facial expression Nani has. I mean, yes, she has built it up so much and now she's <laughs> very like very persistent in her facial expressions mm-hmm. and like very determined to try to get her voice out. Mm. Yeah. So it's shocking to me that people would look at her and assume that she um, didn't have a lot going on because her face is always showing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, especially with those big old smiles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what so. do you, how do you <clears throat> deal with that when you can see if you brought her to school, you can see that people aren't really understanding who, who Nani is, what, what she has, you know, thoughts and ideas. And what do you do? Uh, I remember um, because she had first started going to a school here in, in um, Chandler named San Marcos. Um, I remember there, her first teacher was like, she was super sweet. Like, bubbly she was very friendly um she would reassure me that she being like her being in school uh she was going to do like a lot of learning she would have a lot of fun that they would uh they would treat her like any other kiddo um that it really wouldn't be too different than like other kids in her class because she was in a special needs classroom um so she wasn't with her sister? No. Um, she actually ended up starting school like two years earlier than her sister. Okay. She started at three. Her sister started at five. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so she kind of got like a head start in her school mm-hmm. because of that, because of her disability, I guess you would say. Right. Um. So with that teacher, um, she would give her like activities to do, um, just like simple stuff, like what she would give other kiddos. And she kind of started noticing on her own 
how Nani would either react or how she would respond to certain things that the teacher would show her. Because mm. I remember, I remember her teacher telling me, "Oh well, I thought she wouldn't. She didn't know this, or she wasn't familiar with this, but she actually knows a little bit about what I'm talking about." Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. another comment that she had previously as well was, "She can't speak, but she does try to." do something to show like a response towards that question mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so right away on the first day of school that's when they start that's when they notice that she wasn't really a vegetable mm-hmm. right. like what every like what the doctors were saying that she wasn't a noodle mm-hmm. because right. i did mention to the teacher they're like she is not a noodle mm-hmm. it's like well according to the doctor she was mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> so you they were starting to see what you knew about Nani and they were pretty um it sounds like they were pretty vocal about it like they they would tell you hey this is what I thought and now I'm seeing that's not true did did that feel good to hear have like a you know that kind of heartfelt conversation or was it hard to hear would you rather them not say that you know like hey I thought she couldn't do this but I'm seeing that maybe she can yeah um to me honestly i it was very like reassuring because at the time um i was uh, that's when i turned about 17 or so and um after ever like her whole traumatic injury that she had and everything it kind of made me like safeguard her more mhm so I was really hesitant to new things, new people, new everything because mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Right. So just them like reassuring frequently how she's doing, um, what she's been up to, what she knows, what she's learning. Mm-hmm. It kind of motivated me to get her out more often. Mm-hmm. Nice. Because of like after she had all that and I went through everything with CPS, lawyers, everything, mm-hmm. I kind of just put up like a wall. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. So and then when she started going into school, that teacher like slowly started knocking it down just with everything she would tell me about Nani and what she was learning and what she liked, what she didn't like. Just pretty much opening up her mind and getting her involved with all the other kiddos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So awesome. it really did help. Mm-hmm. And I remember, um, you know, not a lot of preschool teachers have experience with kids that use eye gaze devices. <laughs> mm-hmm. So also, she was kind of brave and just going, okay, you're right to use the technology. Yes, she did. Yes, yeah. She did. I remember she had said, um, bring it in. We'll do training if we need to, but we'll figure it out together. That's what we're all here for. And one thing that you and her both said was that it, it takes a village and mm-hmm. it certainly does. Mm-hmm. But I remember them saying like, oh my gosh, she knows her colors. Oh my gosh, she knows her shapes. Yes. Oh my gosh, she knows her, right? Because we once we got the device there, they were like, oh, she's, she's meeting preschool, cognitive, um, uh, educational, academic milestones. Right. Like all yes. other three year olds are need to know their colors and shapes. And she does. Right. Yes. Not to mention that you guys spoke Spanish at home. So she mm-hmm. was she was having to find those, you know, talk English mostly because 
the device had Spanish at the time, but I feel like at school, mm -hmm. they mostly just use English, which makes sense. I understand yeah. those pieces, but um, yeah. Now throughout the years, you've had different teachers and some of them yeah. have used the device more. Some of them have used less. Some of them have continue to be shocked at how smart she is and others see it right mm -hmm. away. Tell us a little bit about um, your, your good experience, the best experiences you've had. Uh, so the best experiences I've had so far is that all the teachers are willing to try it. Mm -hmm. They're always open to try it. There's no issue about that. Um, they're pretty much just when they see the device, they're amazed at how much content it has. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it can hold so much, and then especially Nani knowing how to control it, mm -hmm. there every time she, every time like the teachers would see her do it, they would just be amazed. Like you really know how to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so they would sometimes they would look at her like, uh, pretty much trying to figure out where she was going. Um, and even Nani would even teach the teachers new things about the device that they didn't know either mm -hmm. so it's kind of they were both teaching each other yeah how how old is nani now uh she's 12 they just turned 12 wow 12 okay yeah. so <laughs> it's a long way <laughs> you mentioned that um or brenda you mentioned she had there was at the time so she's got a different device but at the time she had spanish on her device or toby and at school, they mostly, um, she used English. Was she using it at home in Spanish? How, what was that like? Uh, in the home, um, we actually use both um, because I'm English, uh, but I also speak Spanish. Um, and then like uh, what we, when we initially got the device, what we were doing is we were kind of just messing around with it kind of like a kid when they get an iPad or like mm -hmm. a, uh, any kind of tablet. Um, my dad, once he found out that it was Spanish, he would mess with it too with Nani. They would sit there and kind of just poke at it, mm. trying to figure out like where locations of things are. Just pretty much, oh, well, do you have a dog? Do you have a cat? Do you have a rooster? Like just funny things like that. Mm -hmm. um, and to me now... It, I think it was very beneficial for her to use Spanish at such a young age or to have that bilingual piece mm -hmm. um, because now that she's 12, she understands it more fluently. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, what her teachers have said as well is that she is slowly putting like words together um, and she's actually learning how to pronounce certain words from the device itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's both in English and the Spanish language. Mm -hmm. So just having that device in bilingual, I think is going to pretty much open a lot of doors later down the road. Right. right. And your husband... Um, he speaks English. Let me say this. He understands English, yes. um, but he <laughs> prefers to speak Spanish. And so, yes. and he kind of is the sun and the moon in Nani's eyes. So I think she yes. also is super motivated and so is your dad. So I think he, she's super motivated to speak Spanish because that gets your dad and, um, 
your husband's attention, right? They they pay yes. attention when she's speaking Spanish, right? Yeah, and Nani actually recently she's she thinks it's hilarious to talk on the device in English to my dad or my husband. <laughs> and they're like, what are you talking about? They they respond back to her in Spanish saying, What are you talking about? And she goes on her device, never mind. <laughs> okay. And then she starts the sentence all over again. And then if they don't understand, never mind. Just leave it. Mm-hmm. Funny. She's okay. Like, like a sassy <laughs> twelve year old now. What a twelve year old, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, then um the other thing I've noticed too is with the device itself, because it's bilingual, it also helps my husband he's like slowly learning English because of the use on the device mm-hmm, right. so even when when she uses it with Nani or when he uses it with Nani um he tries to use it in the English version mm-hmm. so that way he tries to speak a little bit better to Nani mm-hmm. but at the same time he's kind of gaining some benefits from it because he's also trying to repeat what the device says in English as well right, right. Right. And then they go backwards and they revert to Spanish. And then he's sitting there trying to tell Nani how to say it in Spanish. And then they toggle back into the English form and yeah. find it in the English version as well. Yeah. And so she's on a grid pad 15 with Boco Chat and English and Spanish. And so it's like sentence started. So it's like, I want, mm-hmm. and then it's like to eat, to play, to go. So there's some phrase-based stuff to put together. So for iGaze users, she can do two or three hits and it's a full sentence. So she doesn't have to do word mm-hmm. for word. She has mm-hmm. other options and she can, she can, when she was on the accent, she could do the, um, I don't know, I don't know if she was on the 60 or she was on the 42 or something like she could do a lot of buttons, but it was laborious Mm -hmm. to do what word by word. And now that we've got a little more phrase based, she were getting tons out of her. She even had Mm -hmm. the device not work. And then in Spanish, she puts together my device isn't working or something. And mom takes that and sends it to me. And I'm like, translation, please. (laughs) She told her that my my device is right. Is is that what it my device isn't working yes because we did have issues with the device um it has shut down on us Mm -hmm. randomly um so it needed an update yes it needed the update and um before it did shut off on us she was able to say there's something wrong with my device Uh uh-huh so Nani's calling her own tech support at this point. Yeah, basically. But she, she's us, going to. You know, she had surgery last week and you just told us that she's using it for medical purposes now too as well. Yes. Um, so what, we didn't take it with us to the hospital, um, but we had it here at home. Mm-hmm. Um, we put it on her um, rolling floor mount that she had mm-hmm. uh, by her bed. Um, so what I was doing with her is, is I pretty much want her to make her own opinions, mm-hmm. um, to do her own choices, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much be her own self because she's right. already 12 now. Yeah. Um, I don't want her to be like too dependent in what she tries to tell me. Mm-hmm. So I rather let her do it on her own. Mm-hmm. And one of the phrases that she said was, um, two days after we had gotten out of surgery, she said she needed medication. Mm-hmm. So then I said, okay, so what's hurting? I took her down to the body parts page mm-hmm. and she kept saying hip and knee. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so uh, I went back um, to the yes and no page and I was like, would you like medication? And she said, yes. But then she made, I forgot to take a picture of it. She made another sentence saying, I need medication now, please. Mm. So I'm like, okay, give me a minute and I'll mm-hmm. give you your medication. Mm-hmm. And then um, she went back into the water page and she said, water, please. Mm. Because she knows I wash, I pretty much flush her medication down with water. Yeah. So she's, um, she's advocating so Yes. And that's kind of where having the device is kind of a blessing in disguise, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of work and the positioning's hard. And there's some things about that equipment that's not convenient. But it's, Mm -hmm. but having started so young, she is very, she understands that that's her voice for sure. So, Jessica, we're going to wrap up, but I want to know, I want to know a couple of things. I think, Sarah, you had a really good question. um, well, we were thinking about, so some of the assumptions that people made, you know, that you were too young to understand, um, what mm-hmm. was going on they had to talk to you in a different way or rephrase things. Um, there's some assumptions around you needing the interpreter and kind of maybe because you were too young that mm-hmm. they, they really thought you did need it. So, you know, we're just thinking, um, what, I guess we've, we've talked about some things that would have helped, right? Just talk to me, tell me, tell me as it is, right? Tell me what I need to know. And you would, um, and, and listening to you better, right? Mm -hmm. What else do you, what do you want people to know about you, um, as a young mother with a child with a disability or, um, maybe with being a Hispanic mother, um, mm-hmm. any of this that we've kind of talked about today, what, what would you want people to know? Well, just one thing that I specifically like learned and like Nani made me do was, is pretty much to speak up, not to let them talk to you as if you didn't know like anything at all. Mm-hmm. Cause the way I was talked to made it seem like I was, never in an ER, mm-hmm. never around or exposed to any of that like language, mm-hmm. just because when they initially talked to me, um, I was I had talked to my mom. But when I asked her a question, I had originally asked her something in Spanish, I didn't directly go into English. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the assumption came in regards to the interpreter mm-hmm. was because when I talked to my parents, I had talked to them in Spanish, mm-hmm. but when it came to the doctors, that's when I would talk to them in English. Mm-hmm. Right. So one thing for me that has stuck with me is to net, not to, or to not let them talk down to you mm-hmm. and to speak up as mm-hmm. much as you're afraid to say anything, you need to say something. Mm-hmm. 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 Would you have preferred what what should the doctors have done differently? For me and everything I went through would probably be to just talk to me like a normal person, not because I was 16 or because I was Hispanic or because like the way I looked or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um it to me it didn't seem like it was right to do what they did. Mm-hmm. just based on the assumptions or the way that we were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. because of me is like because I talked to my parents a certain way didn't mean that I wasn't going to understand it a whole different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Would would you have wanted them to ask you more like about what you need or you know like about how you're going to talk to interpret for your dad or whatever just be more a little transparent with questions yeah for me I think it would have been if they would have just asked me like directly instead Mm -hmm. of trying to go around through my parents Mm -hmm. um I think it would have made things a little bit better Mm -hmm. and then especially just go straight to the point don't try to make things like softer because I know that's what they were trying to do as well Mm. it's just go straight to the point talk to me like as if it was a normal person not anybody that was 16 at the time Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and just pretty much talking to me directly because after all I was Stephanie's mom I am Stephanie's mom Mm -hmm. and I pretty much held all the rights to her Mm -hmm. yeah and even though I had everything they pretty much took my mom and dad as if they were the parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, um, I, you know, I, I you interpret now for me when I mm-hmm. do communication device evaluations. And um, there are times when I feel like, there almost every time, frankly, um, you help me make connections. Um, it seems like... Um, I don't speak Spanish. Well, I I don't speak Spanish. Well, (laughs) that doesn't keep me from trying, does it, Jessica? Um, (laughs) But um, what do you what do you feel like you end up hearing yourself say over and over again when we're at the evaluations to um, put um, the people at ease when I'm trying to say, hey, I think this eye gaze device is going to work for you and you can, you, you can sense that they're feeling the way you were feeling, right? Like, okay. (laughs) What do you end up, what do you, cause you're, sometimes you go rogue on me and you just speak Spanish for them for a minute. So what do you, what do Mm. you hear yourself saying that seems to be comforting? Uh, Well, when I do the interpretations, um, I pretty much, I start off with everything by the book. But when they say, um, well, I don't want to do this, or why do we have to do this? I kind of explain from my experience Mm -hmm. and how she's used it when she first started, how it is now, and that I think it would be very beneficial for their own child, Mm -hmm. just because they say they want their child to be independent. Mm -hmm. So that is definitely one route to go into um and I know when I do speak Spanish it's almost like as if they're part of the family because I speak Spanish mm-hmm. and I I feel myself like I'm like I feel like I'm more comfortable when I speak in Spanish which is English mm-hmm. um don't really know why mm-hmm. but I just do yeah well, because I will have said that. Well, I know you want her to be independent and this is how she can do it. And they're like, mm-hmm. And then Jessica says the same thing in Spanish. And they're like, all right, sister, great. Let's do this. Are you going to be my interpreter for the rest <laughs> of my life? So, I mean, you know, there are some things that I just can't be done. Um, some things are lost in translation. And Well, yeah. And hearing from a mom, it sounds like, who's gone through a similar experience is, is really p- powerful. 
Right. It's not just that yes. there's a Spanish speaking person on the phone or on the line or in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's this is a mom of a child that sometimes it's the same device over the years. It's been like my mm -hmm. daughter uses this device. Jessica's able to say. And then they're like, Yes. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So um well, you're you're lucky, Brenda, to have Jessica. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I, I know. I, I want her to advocate and set boundaries and say no, but then that may mean she says no to me. So I have to I have to work through that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'll ever say no. <laughs> as much as I try, because look at what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah, right. For those of you who don't know Jessica, this is so, so far <laughs> out of her comfort zone. And I am, we are so privileged to hear from you and yet you're such a, such a um, authentic um, version of your story. And um, I, we love you. I love your daughter. You know, this, I actually love your whole family. And by the way, her mom likes me now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, huh? <laughs> I mean, actually, I think we warmed up pretty good, you know, but yeah, um, it was funny later for me to hear that I was, that your mom was like, who was that white lady? And I was like, man, you know, I went into that I, since then, since Jessica um, has shared her story with me, I've gone to evaluations where I've knocked on a door and there's been hesitancy to open up hesitancies to let me in. And there's a little bit of a language barrier. And I think of you every time, Jessica, and I'm thinking, mm -hmm. None of this behavior right now has to do with them not liking me personally, because they don't know me yet, not mm -hmm. even not even hating the device or hating any of that stuff. This is like, this is fear. This is, the, and this is, um, and this is uh, learned. I mean, you know, this is justified if they have not been treated um, fairly, or if they feel like the language barrier is going to create unfair treatment, the, the, the walls are up. And, yeah, and, some, and, and some protection. for a reason. So mm -hmm. um, I think I think the important thing for um, all of us when we meet anyone that has walls up is not to take those assumptions too far. Right. Not that not that they're not interested, not that they don't care, not that they mm -hmm. aren't they don't understand it. It's just that we all need to we are all going to be mama bears about our kids. Mm -hmm. And you're definitely going to be a mama bear if your child isn't able to advocate for themselves or speak. Right. So it's like, I think understanding exactly. where your story is so important for all of us so that we um, check those assumptions at the door. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jessica. Yeah. Thank you yeah, for coming. Okay. <laughs> Bye.